Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Kids Media Podcast. I'm Andy Williams and my co-host is Joe Redfern. And in each episode, we invite some fascinating and brilliant people working in kids media to sit down and chat to us. And today we're going to be talking about the area of ed tech and where within that there might be opportunities for people like us that work in kids media as creators or producers. We know that there is a lot of opportunity to use content within education and it's growing all the time. So there's immersive content, for example, that's very often tech enabled. There's things like VR and AR. You can walk around immersive experiences for um, art, for example. There's a, a Van Gogh exhibition at the moment that does just that. And there's also content that you can consume to teach yourself something new with products like Masterclass and Teachable. So today we're going to be speaking to Nick Richardson, who is the founder of the Insights Family, a research agency that does a lot of work in this space, and also Dr. Gare Grouts, who is an eminent educationalist and global speaker on such matters. So let's meet them now. Hi, I'm Nick Richardson, the founder and CEO of the Insights Family. We are a market intelligence specialist on children, parents and families, surveying over half a million uh, kids, parents and, and family members around the world uh, across 18 countries. Hi, I'm Gare Graus, Global Education Director for Kidzania, Board Director for something wonderfully new called Hello Genius and Visiting Professor at the National Research University in Moscow and always a teacher with and of children. Awesome. Well, we're thrilled to have you with us today. Fantastic. Um, let's just jump straight into the questions. I had a question for, for you, Nick. As somebody whose job it is to follow trends, what can you tell us about what's happening in the world of EdTech and how that's changing? Well, I think uh, EdTech, I think what COVID has done in many ways is it's sped up so many trends which were happening uh, anyway. And I think EdTech has, has been around for a number of years um, and was obviously developing quite nicely, but with so many children having to uh, school remotely uh, during the pandemic. Uh, the innovations uh, in that sector have been extremely exciting. Um, and I think also possibly as important is that um, teachers, educators, parents and children have all got a different perception um, for EdTech and are now really starting to, to see the uh, positives in there. But, you know, we see that, you know, almost two thirds of uh, four-year-olds uh, in the UK um, own their own tablet. So, you know, the children have the technology in their hands to, to learn and develop. And with so much content now uh, out there, um, there's, a, there's a great opportunity for brands and for uh, education to uh, collaborate, to, um, to teach children. That's great. And Gare, I'd be interested to kind of to get your thoughts on the same question, actually. Um, I, I concur with Nick, and I am very excited about EdTech. I think we, we need to look at EdTech and take it for what it is. So it is not a replacement of what, what has gone on and what's going on in what we might call the real world, but it adds value, it supplements, and it is part of something that adds also speed to increasingly, uh, um, the children who are increasingly continue to be curious but have less time to give before answers are found. So I think it, it responds to the time we're in. And it has been, it's been a savior 
for many during the pandemic. And I think that there's something about EdTech that, that, um, that we also need to think about. And this is the information it can give us, the data that sits behind, them, behind it, and the profiles we can build up from it, teach us a lot more about our children than we might have previously known. And that ought to influence how we think in schools and wider about our children's aspirations, how to inspire them, and how to create a sense of purpose and a sense of achievement, as well as that very narrow uh, sense of attainment. So I know for a fact that the work that the Insights family do enriches our knowledge of the children we work with. And we need to embrace this. And as grown-ups and educators, we need to make sense of this. So I welcome it greatly. Awesome. And just, just to add in there, I mean, there's, there's a statistic, isn't there, but that around about a third of uh, jobs uh, in the world by 2030 will be automated. So, you know, the, the schooling and education system has not really um, evolved over the last 30, 40 years. So I think EdTech, um, as, as Gur said, it, it shouldn't be seen as a replacement because there's a huge amount of importance of children learning in person. But actually what EdTech is doing is it's really teaching children the skills of tomorrow, which they're going to need to, to succeed in the future. And I think globally in our data, we see that nearly a third of tweens um, um, have the ability to code. Uh, and I think that that has risen significantly over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, the gaming sector and, and everything that that stands for is going to be a huge employer um, for, for, for the next generation. Interesting. I just had one kind of follow up on that, actually, very quickly. This might sound like a very stupid question, but what is EdTech? If you had to put it on a bumper sticker, what would you say EdTech was? Do you want to go first, Gil, or drop me to? Uh, no, you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I, I think you can define it in lots of different ways, but I just think it's the it's uh, the utilisation of technology to to learn and develop. Um, I would keep it as broad as that, and I think it's important. I would say it's it's important to keep it that open because we all learn in different ways, you know. And again, going back to my comment I made made earlier, one of the big problems with the education sector is that it has not evolved enough to give a more personalized learning experience for different children. We are now far more accepting as a society of people with uh, different skills, different uh, beliefs and different traits, but still we have an education system which tries to funnel everyone in the, in the same way. And I think going back, and I think it's important we leave the definition open because what it means for someone with maybe learning difficulties, what it might mean for someone who, who learns or develops in a certain way, and what it might learn for uh, what it might mean for someone uh, with a maths or a STEM um, preference versus uh, a child who um, prefers arts and crafts and, and, and art and music and, and things like that will be very different. I think that's a, a really great lead into my next question actually and I'll come to you Ger to, thinking about this concept of technology being an enabler I think that's really what what Nick was just saying so we know that children use technology intuitively they do it for entertainment social gaming from very very young what can you tell us about how kids are using technology to learn I think the 
that definition of ed tech is very important and provides part of the answer. So, so we haven't called it school tech and we haven't called it teach tech and we haven't called it test tech, although some of that exists as well. It, it is the technology that enables us to educate ourselves. And, and that is a very broad church. Now, children naturally use technology. We always have done. Right? But, but what tends to happen is that all grown-ups were once children, but only a few of them remember it, quote-unquote, the little prince. So when I ran home after school many, many years ago, when I grew up in the south of Holland, and I'd just spoken to all my friends, my first thing was to sit on the stairs, get the phone off the hook, which was attached to the wall in those days, and rang the very friends that I had just been speaking to. And my mother used to say, you're constantly on that thing. You've only just seen them. My 15-year-old daughter now runs home from school. She gets in, she goes on her mobile, and she FaceTimes the friends she's just left behind. And they interact differently and in multiple ways and, and utilize the edtech also in, in part in that way. So, so there is nothing new, right? It is just bigger, greater, and I would say better. And we have to look at technology and in particular the internet, I personally think the internet is, is the greatest invention ever. And I think it has the potential to democratize and it has the potential to educate the whole world. And many people may try to stop this and, and other, you know, in some countries you can't go on this and in others you can't go on this. That's a matter of time. Children know how to utilize this, know how to use this. Where we as grown-ups, I think, come into this is to sow some seeds. And that's about different working and applying different skills and finding out. So when a child comes up to us now and says, what's this? We have, as educators, as parents, a, a far greater opportunity to say, what are you asking me for? Why don't, you, why don't you just go and find the right answer and come and tell me? Don't ask me the question. Why don't you just come back with the answer and we'll check whether it's the right one? So I think the role that we have is as facilitators and as lollipop people so that they don't end up going up the wrong, the wrong roads. But EdTech per se has to be immensely welcome. But there is one word of warning, if I may, please, Joe. Um, we must, even in, in a country like the United Kingdom, we must not assume that this is about equity and about equality. There are many children who do not have access to the hardware, and there are probably even more children who do not have access to the infrastructure at home. And I would argue that a child's right to accessing the internet is, it, is the educational equivalent to a child's right to access clean water and what that means in health terms. We have to get serious about this. And I, as a criticism of governments all over the place, but particularly in the UK, I would say they talk about children doing this and children doing this. And I often sit there and wonder, I wonder what child they have in their head now when they speak about children. They're certainly not the ones that haven't got, that haven't got, and that therefore can't. So mm. we, 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 must, we must be careful of that. But, it, but overall, wow, I, you know, I wish I was young now in many ways. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it was certainly something that I picked up when schools closed in lockdown. Um, there was an, an, an assumption that there would be plenty of laptops to go around for kids to access classes via Zoom. But of course, there are some kids that don't have access to that at, at home. And I, I know that kind of digital inequality was uh, thrown into the limelight, particularly early on in lockdown. But bearing in mind that same question, I'll come to you actually, Nick, uh, from a slightly different viewpoint as someone who works in research and insights. What are you um, identifying? What can you tell us about how you're seeing kids are using technology to learn? I, I think going back to the point I made earlier is that um, I think as a society, we're now recognising that um, children aren't the same um, and they should be celebrated more and more for their differences. So it's not um, a one size fits all answer. You know, we see in our data how in many ways as the mainstream um, is becoming less and more fragmented, that the power of niche is, be, is almost becoming the mainstream. Um, so that there's not a one size fits all answer there. But I would say that, you know, all parts of kids' lives are about learning and development. You know, everything that, that they do has... Um, learning and development elements to that. And I think there's significant change in terms of um, how we're now recognising um, children in their own uh, particular ways is, is important. But the variety and the just the incredible amounts of content which is now in this digital um, kids ecosystem is, is I just think creating so many opportunities. And I think it, it's funny how certain things seem to happen at the same time. So you've got the fact that children have a lot more access to this. There's a lot more content there. But we're now also seeing that purpose is becoming important again. You know, in the late 80s, 90s and early noughties, you know, it was quite a capitalist uh, viewpoint. It was about, um, you know, a lot of the um, budget spent uh, by brands was on advertising. I think we're now seeing brands invest a lot more significantly in terms of content and also making sure there's a purpose behind that content. So I think that those two things align. Um, it's really going to see this, this industry take off over the next five years um, in ways where we probably still can't imagine. Uh, but going back to Ger's point, it's really, really important that governments and regulators work in a way to ensure that there is equality here. Because, um, you know, the internet is a wonderful thing that if, if I think now, if I, when I set up this business, all I needed was a £300 laptop um, and an internet connection and I could essentially get the business up and running. That's a very rare moment in time to allow that. And if, if it's that easy um, to give anyone the opportunity to do that, we've got to make sure that all children, no matter what their background is, has that same opportunity because the internet does represent the golden ticket um, for, for people uh, in terms of developing an incredible future. On a kind of related point, my question was uh, um, for Yuga, was how how can different types of media content help kids acquire skills and learn both in and out of school? And I'd be interested to know if you thought that, because skill acquisition covers quite a broad range of content and some that people wouldn't automatically assume was ed tech. I think there's a couple of things. So, so firstly, uh, firstly, the easy part of the answer, which is that each child learns differently even if it's slightly differently and what uh, um, different types of media content allow us uh, allow us to do is to facilitate that and actually to provide more ways in which you can learn right that so personalized 
learning uh, is, is helped. I think the second thing is that we need to draw a distinction between schooling and education. Schooling is really 192 days per year, 94, 95, whatever it is, and education and, and goes on for 11, 12 years, and education goes on from the second you're born to the second uh, you're no longer here. And in my travels, pre-COVID travels mainly, um, talking to children all over the world, I asked that question, the question, why do you go to school? And the answer far too often is because I have to. And I think it's a really poor answer. And in that sense, we need purpose. And I say to teachers quite often, the two most important words that you can use in a lesson time and time again are for example. Yeah? So my math teacher would go, if A is two and B is three, what is C? And I sat there as a boy going, I have no idea what he's on about. What's he on about? For example, would have contextualized it, would have given a purpose, I would have understood, and it would have connected with the world out there. That is what, what different types of media content give us, right? It, give, it gives us four examples. It gives us uh, the opportunity for children to, to join the world up, so to go, well, that's what I've learned in school, and now I understand why I've learned it and how to apply it. And that constant, that constant connect, that allows kids in a far better way, one, to write their own narrative of the possible, but also to engage in, in this kind of learning, kind of self-initiated, then you, you, you direct it and you sustain it. And what happens is it becomes a behavior, it becomes habitual. And once we're there, then it is no longer just the geography or the history, but it might well be who was it who won Mastermind or Love Island or whatever it is three years ago. It becomes an, a, a, a fulfiller of curiosity and part of life rather than that's school, that's education, that's homework. It's learning and it's constant. And that's what it gives us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm struck by in this discussion you, it feels like we have there are two kind of different dynamics one is the the school dynamic which is kind of a bit more top down where it's that this is what you will learn and the other is is a kind of really broad thing it's the curiosity dynamic of the kid um and that and that just kind of they follow that wherever their curiosity will take them. And there's a lot of skills that can then be acquired along the way. Sorry, and, and we need to very clearly distinguish between the schooling and ed education thing. Schooling with brilliant teachers, because without brilliant teachers, there would be nothing. But schooling essentially is a government, whichever government, deciding what children should be taught. That's called the national curriculum. Schools are the vehicle by which this is done. Teachers are the people who make this brilliant. But in the end, the school is then inspected and the children are tested so that we can judge how well the school has delivered what the government wants it to deliver. And in that schooling discussion, you could talk for two hours without mentioning the word child once. That has that has to be wrong, okay? So 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 we have to make say, we have to make it up. We have to make up for that outside the school, where the environment is the third teacher, including the virtual environment. I think just to add in there, 
um, I think Gers' point is so valid, is what's the one thing which is missing? No one's speaking to the children. You know, children need to be given a voice uh, in this, and that's why we have the purpose we do as a business. But someone needs to be asking the kids, what do they think they need to learn? What, um, how do they think they need to be taught? What would be the best way to teach them? And likewise, sending in a, a team of inspectors or viewing things by qualification as what deems success just feels very outdated and not fit for purpose. We should be asking the children what they think um, immediately after and five years afterwards. So it comes into a continually learning, uh, a continually improving um, system, which quite frankly, it isn't. Mm, it's, it, it's, it's interesting just seeing my own kids, how they learn versus how they are taught. Uh, and one example recently is my youngest was playing a video game based on cowboys called Red Dead Redemption. Uh, but that sparked him to go and investigate spaghetti westerns. And then he started reading about Ennio Morricone, the composer of the famous spaghetti westerns music. And he was downloading pieces of Ennio Morricone music and he was telling me all about where he was born. And, and, and that came from just his interest in cowboys being peaked from playing on his Xbox. And that is a, a really that practical example of what you were both just referring to in terms of how kids learn and how technology can be an enabler is not rigid and top down like they are taught in schools. And really, that's where I get very excited about technology and ed tech in empowering kids to learn in the way, which is obviously um, is often very circuitous. But actually, he knew all about Ennio Morricone and his music from the end of this little journey that he went on. And he did it all himself. And it was really interesting for him to come and teach me about it afterwards. So, uh, yeah, really great and, and a great practical example. I'll come to you, um, Nick, next. Just in terms of kids media creators like Andy and I, when we hear about ed tech, what do you see might, the, might be the opportunities for people like us who have come through kids TV? How do we get involved in ed tech? I, th I think there's there's lots of different ways to answer that. I think, um, as I said, mentioned before, I think the big thing which is going to change over the next five years from an industry perspective is the amount of money will, which will get moved from traditional marketing and advertising spend into content. So I think from a um, from an industry, from a business perspective, I think there will be a lot more uh, money available for the industry to therefore be, be creating content um, to 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 um, to engage children. But I think the, the opportunity is so significant. And I would always say start off by, by speaking to the children and listening to the children. Uh, what do they want? Make sure that um, you're building things which um, has relevance um, and is a, uh, an enhancer to their life as opposed to um, just more noise and more clutter um, in an already uh, pretty, pretty cluttered world. Um, but I think there's, there's lots of opportunities. We've been talking about Generation Speak for a while, so... Um, you know, to me, there was generation uh, type, then there was generation swipe. Um, and now with uh, the data that we see in our, in our data, so um, many more children now using, prefer to use their voice to control the devices that they have. So I think, um, you know, there's opportunities there, but I would, the, the, the big thing I would be really looking to do is looking to invest in and, and where I see a huge opportunity is the co-creation of content with, with children. So children now through gaming have such a higher expectation, not just to passively consume content, but to actually shape it, 
co-curate it and even sometimes co-commercialize and co-syndicate that content as well. So, um, and I think that's a really exciting um, part for the industry to develop in. And I think we're going to see new business models fall out the back of that because um, business models need to be more flexible now to, to, to allow that. I, I agree totally. Um, Gare, I would offer the same question to you, actually. Uh, for, for people who are listening, uh, and like I said, creators like Andy and I, what are the opportunities for us with content in EdTech? I think that uh, I, I concur with everything Nick said. I think you also have this, this thing in, in, the, in the very first Ofsted framework of 1992, when you observed the lesson, you had to look whether there was awe and wonder. And, uh, and you can see awe and wonder in children's eyes. That's what I think you can bring to the table. You, you can create the magic, the bit that goes, wow. And that's incredibly important. But I think in order to do this, uh, and that, that kind of links to what Nick was saying, you need, you need to know the children. You need to A, know where they stand, what they want, what their thoughts are. But there's also data that the children don't know about themselves. So some of that Kidzania research, for example, Joe, that you and I have talked about, which, which kind of led us to conclude that girls are underconfident. Yeah? Now, that data didn't come from tests and examinations. That data came from, from an edutainment center's data. So, so we need to look at that as well. Yeah? So, and, and that's why I'm, I'm a huge fan of what Nick and his team at the Insights family are doing, because I think they have the opportunity to provide us with an intelligence that is far greater than what we've got at the moment. And if you, it's all about partnerships in the end, Joe, if you and Andy and other creators, media creators, work with those who have the intelligence and with those who it's for, then you start to create a big picture jigsaw that that will create that awe and wonder because you've taken account of all those intelligence factors. So, uh, yeah, I would say good luck, but you don't need that because 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 you know what to do on that one. So, and it's it's extraordinarily exciting to be in your position and to be the magician, really. Yeah, and, and I think uh, just to, to build on that further as well, I think um, you know, let's all be honest. We we do what we do because we we love it. And uh, there'll be certain subjects that we could remember as a, as a child, just not enjoying, not, uh, and it could be the particular teacher, it could be the way, in many ways, it's the way that it was taught. Um, and I think we, we can all have those conversations over, uh, over dinner, um, saying, oh, I wish, I wish I'd, um, I wish I'd um, taken more attention to art, or I wish I'd, um, um, you know, could, could spend uh, longer in history, those history lessons again, because actually now there, there are certain areas which I really enjoy. I think EdTech has the opportunity to make it fun. And, and you do that in a way through collaboration. So the idea of learning about um, um, data through uh, watching football and looking at how uh, football teams use uh, data analytics and metrics to make, um, you know, to improve uh, their probability of winning or to look at how Formula One uses uh, data and maths um, to improve uh, speed. You know, that makes it fun. And those collaborations go back to a point which, which Gert made before. The four examples, rather than it be uh, a fixation on 
um, silly examples that you often, well, I remember getting in school, they can become real life examples with uh, real content, which kids absolutely love and enjoy. And therefore learning doesn't just become something that you do in school. It becomes part of every, every part of your life. And that is really exciting, not just in terms of um, for you guys, but also the opportunity it has to create children and then for the next generation of um, employees, uh, consumers, voters, all of those things, just so much more enabled uh, individual and enlightened and probably happier as well. I mean, I did have one final thought, which was, in some ways, is everyone in working in content creation um, working in ed tech in some ways? I mean, um, Joe mentioned Red, Dem Red Dead Redemption as a kind of pathway to curiosity. Uh, and I saw that Fortnite also has things where they're doing stuff with more of a kind of a historical slant. Is there, are the opportunities to kind of do something in education across all media, really? I think we need to be careful. Right. Uh, and, and so many years ago, I, I wrote a book with, with, with a guy from Cambridge University. We called it Planning for Learning. And we asked that question, really, and, and that question about not about schools, but we asked it about others, about museums and galleries and libraries and Alton Towers and all, and all those places. Because many places, too many places, call themselves educational, but quite frankly, what they have is some quickly fixed, put together worksheet on a website so that they can invite schools to come along. And it's really, it, it's, it's, driven, uh, it's driven by the budgets rather than by education. So, so at some point, I think we need to be broad thinking and all that, but at some point we need to ask the question, well, show me that it makes a difference then. Yeah, And maybe Joe, that's the follow-up interview that we can do to talk about, about impact analysis in its broadest sense. And it's not about the maths test, but in the end, if you are setting out and you're saying, well, we're educational, show me. It must be easy then, because you've thought about it, you must have thought about measuring the impact. And if you can't show me the impact, I'm beginning to question. Sometimes you can acquire skills and learning in a way that just is totally outside of the educational framework, like the Red Dead um, video game example, like the video game example. And in a way, it's better because the kids, the kids kind of feel more empowered if they feel like they've followed the curiosity themselves and it hasn't been something that's prescribed as something that they should learn. And actually following that rabbit hole down can lead to kind of really wonderful discoveries. That yeah, but could come back into school. I mean, so my example has been my daughter's 15 she and her mates are amazing on anything to do with technology. They're much better than the teachers are. So I, so, I, so, I, so I said to her head, why don't you pay them? Why don't you pay them to teach the year sevens? And the teacher's role is to mm. be the safeguarder. Right? But those kids are much more, we couldn't do that. And could we trust them? And you get all that nonsense comes out. But in the end, if you have impact, then what do you do with the impact? And, and I, you know, I, I would happily send my daughter and her mates into any primary school, and I guarantee you that they teach the use of technology better than any primary school teacher does. Of course, and what fantastic skills they'd have learned in terms of yeah. speaking in front yeah. of a class and, and engaging yeah. with people. Mm, and, I think yeah, also, just expanding on that, the 
when I think about VR, I was doing some reading around the educational potential in virtual reality. And it's huge. It's really exciting. Um, and there is some signs of investment by the governments in government in VR, but not in teaching teachers how to use VR. It's not just a question of buying the Oculus headsets and then chucking them into schools and assuming the teachers will know how to use them. Most of them wouldn't have a clue how to use it optimally to then allow the kids to engage in learning through that particular tech to its full capacities. I do, I do some work with Anthony Gethin at Atlantic Productions. I, and they're the ones who, who do all the special effects for the David Attenborough programmes. And we talk time and time again. So they scanned the pyramids in Giza. And they've, they've developed this VR experience whereby you become the archaeologist. Now how, so, and that was not done with an educational angle. It was a fun angle. But my God, can I please bring this into every classroom in the country? It, 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 it's, it's that good. You're quite right, Joe. That, we're, we're at the foothills mm. of all of this. Mm. I think what's interesting as well, I mean, I again, data is an insight is so powerful. Uh, and it's something that the TV industry and creators have been have used forever. You know, you use consumption data, you use viewing figures, you look at how many downloads of an app. But actually, there's so much more that data can tell us. Um, like you said, Gert, about the child themselves, about their learning style. Very often you can get this data in real time. You can get machine learning that can give you that feedback and, and, and tailor almost what content is served up to kids accordingly. I mean, it's something that Netflix do already. There are something like 4,000 different category classifications on Netflix that the algorithm draws on and serves you up your hyper-personalized recommendation for what you want to watch. Well, you apply that to ki kids' content in an educational sense and how they learn and what they want to learn. And you start to realize just how powerful data and insight can be. And also, again, where content creators like us could use that and go, you know what, we could create content that is engaging, compelling. We could have a grime artist wrapping times tables. You know, we could do all of this. Actually, if the data and the technology says this child loves music, is struggling with maths, it might be that that's the kind of content that's really going to switch the. And I think I think what and I think also also what happens is kind of it, it almost takes us to the hello genius conversation, but but the bit that I keep talking to them about, which essentially is is, is their version two point zero, maybe it's three point zero. But that's the bit about, I always use the example, my daughter likes flowers. She likes to learn about flowers. So she goes and she watches David Attenborough or somebody like that on Hello Genius about flowers. But she should then get the message that says, it's May in all the parks in Sheffield, there are flowers in bloom. And if you use this app, you can walk around the park and find out what each flower is. So, so we go proper hybrid rather than, the hybrid that we know at the moment, which is either or, right? It needs to start to do that. And that needs to be the next bit of technology. And that needs to then become the next bit of content that that enables that. Yeah. And I think both, I mean, I think both of you touched on personalization and niche, actually, which is something we haven't actually dived too far into, but that must open up a whole world of kind of possibilities for ed tech. And just in terms of, 
you know, you you can have some a child that really follows their curiosity quite deep into a subject, and it doesn't have to be held back by the whole class needing to kind of learn at the same pace. And and, and that's exactly it. So so one of the things, and I'm hoping that you know again, Hello Genius is, is an example, but I'm hoping that it will live live on that as well. Is I I used to give some of the very very brightest kids I taught. I used to I used to buy books. It cost me a fortune, but it was worth doing. And I used to buy them a book called Dear Professor Einstein. And it was a book where Albert Einstein answers letters he got from children. And and it wasn't maths and it wasn't English, but it was amazing and it was awe and wonder. And so so you 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 stretch them further in all sorts of directions. And I think that is what edtech should do as well it shouldn't just go we'll do a bit more maths or we'll do a bit more geography but actually do you know what we'll stretch you in every god-given direction possible because we can and because it's good for you and my, my, my i think personalization and well personalization is 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 such a huge opportunity I guess there's two things to say about the data side. Obviously, with the legislation changes, the, the, the amount of data that we can get on children um, means that it can be a bit more restrictive in the kids' world to do some of the things which uh, Netflix would do for a, you know, an over-60 um, uh, you know, target customer group. And that's why one of the reasons why we do what we do the way that we do it is because, as far as I'm aware, we're the only uh, company which can provide real-time um, data in terms of children across the markets we serve. But I think going back to the personalization and the, the algorithms, I think it's also really important that we don't um, create such a hygiene um, and such a um, almost curated world for the child, because there is something which is really important about leaving the chance opportunities. And, you know, going back to the example you said before, Joe, uh, about um, how um, you know, playing a cowboy computer game or, the, or, you know, 20 minutes later, half an hour later, there's, you know, uh, interest in music, there's downloading things, there's reading on Wikipedia uh, about um, the composer and so on. And I think it's important that we have an element of, of, of random, randomness in, in the kids' ecosystem. It doesn't become too stay because I think that would be wrong. And I think that's one of the, the, the dangers that we have to ensure that we don't make everything too um, um, prescriptive. I, th I agree. I think that there's a nightmare scenario where algorithms become a self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> and become a and become a ceiling on aspirations, right? Because because you you go down that thing mm. that says this is because everything you do, if you're not very careful, is historically based. So mm. a child likes Dabino, it likes this in Dabino, it likes, and, and you forget the question that it might also like Tintin. Yeah. Because you—that's a silly example—but but you know where I'm getting at. Mm. So I'm always have this—I always have this nightmare that the whole world is becomes pre-programmed. I'm sure I'm sure there are people who'd quite like that. Um, so I, I agree that there's a rogue element that we need to factor in or, or allow itself to factor in, basically. Mm. Yeah, I agree. But again, it's been really interesting. I've my brain is now fizzing with lots of things that I want to go and read and think about and hit shows that I want to create that are going to teach kids all sorts of things. Um, so thank you. See you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wonderful. Thanks. See you soon. Thanks, guys. Take care. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate this episode and subscribe to the series. It would be enormously appreciated. 
And thank you very much for listening. We really hope that you tune into the next episode. Bye.